I'm Mel. And I'm Tosh. And welcome to another episode of Mahogany Mammology, an online dialogue pertaining to the concerns and carefree parenting of Black motherhood. And this episode is brought to you by Hack Electronics. Hey, now. All right. Summer is almost here. And moms, have you figured out what your little one summer camp plans are going to be? If you are in the DFW area, check out Hack Electronics. That's H-A-K Electronics. Hack is a black-owned and simplifying the STEM for all ages. Throughout the year, they have an amazing office location that helps kids see STEM in fashion, sports, and more. This year's summer camps will feature themes on exploring robotics, virtual reality, 3D printing, and more. They are actually offering you $100 off before May 1st. And so you can also speak to them about um, their first free classes on Saturdays or Sundays. Mention mom for your discount offer. We'll have their link and information in our show notes and social media post. And now on to the show. All right. So this week, Momologist of the Week is Tiana. Tiana is a family, motherhood, lifestyle blogger, wife, and stay-at-home mother of two. Congratulations. Congrats. All right, let's get on to the topic. Ooh, what are we talking about so today? So, of course, as parents, school is winding down, right? We have just about a month left almost, Eek. if that less, right? And we're always thinking about our child's educational experience or foundation, right? Mm -hmm. And so the playing field is not always leveled equally for African-American children, as we know. Mm -hmm. Various factors play a part in that, socioeconomic status, the demographics of the school district, and just the, the, the lack of knowledge from parents of not knowing exactly to have that positive projection for their child's educational experience. So, of course, and let's not forget the staggering gaps in educational advancement between mm -hmm. black and white children, right? Mm -hmm. Even if they are in the right school district, quote unquote, okay? Mm -hmm. So, today we're going to be discussing what it means to have a diverse educational experience and improvement of cultural competency for black children in the schools and more, right, with our guest mammologist, Mia Bro. Embro. Excuse me. <laughs> <Got> <laughs> <it>. <laughs> yes, Embro. <laughs> well, as we welcome Mia Embro to our studio, she's a licensed professional counselor and nationally certified counselor with over 25 years of experience in the fields of education, counseling, parenting education, family, community, reconciliation, and restoration. She holds a graduate degree in family counseling and certification in meditation. She's a graduate of the Plano Leadership Class 22, a former board member of the Plano Youth Leadership, and the Diversity Board of Plano Independent School District. Mia presently sits on the board of the Playo Prime and on the advisory board for the Christian Parenting through the Dentian Forum. Mia spent 10 years in parent education with practical parent education of Collin County, all of which is in Texas for those of you who are out of state. Mia's appreciation for learning and teaching has allowed her a rich and meaningful career in a myriad of areas dealing with social and emotional health. She has provided community education on local and national platforms. Mia is married to Tony, and they are parents of two young adult children. Welcome to Welcome. our show. Oh, well, thank you. I'm honored. Oh, gosh, man. Well, as Tosh loves to say, let's just go ahead and, and jump on into this. Um, 
I always find that we use this word, quote-unquote, diversity. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Slightly loosely, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah. Like, folks want to say, oh, I want my child to be in a, quote-unquote, diverse school, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I love that. But yet, do they really, like, I feel like people really mean they want their child to be in a predominantly African-American school. You think Are you, so? I, maybe it's just me, but Mia, what, I mean... That's interesting. I don't, you know, I do know this. I, every time the word vocabulary diversity is used, it's always about race. And that's mm. part of the educational opportunity yeah. we walk into. That diver- uh, The three of us sitting right here are diverse in a myriad of ways, right? Right. Yes. Uh, and so just talking about even though we are brown, we're still from different areas, different experiences, and how all of that comes into consideration when you talk about diversity. So I love to use the acronym GRACE. Which means, because I think when you have this conversation, you have to be grace-filled with one another because some people can come out of the box when you start talking about diversity. But talking about gender and race and ability, people have different abilities that they bring to the table, talking about culture, and then talking about socioeconomic status because all of those factors come into play. So when people tell me they want diversity, I have them kind of walk that out a little bit and define it more specifically because what I find often than not, it does come down to counting how many brown, tan, right. yellow mm-hmm. in the room, and right. they haven't thought about the other aspects. Because right. what you'll find sometimes is a parent will say that, and then they'll land in what they've asked for, and then there's some uh-oh moments mm-hmm. because they haven't taken the other variables into consideration. It's mm-hmm. very true. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, yeah. What is your suggestion for mothers who have a child that is, say, one of few children of color in a majority Caucasian daycare school town to ensure they're treated fairly? Well, I'm going to speak mostly from my own experience of having two children. That was their world, and they are now young adults. But um, what I have found in hindsight, which is a great teacher looking back, is before you make the decision to place your child in that kind of environment, to have an awareness of, first of all, who you are and what your thoughts are about it from the beginning. Mm -hmm. You have to unpack that bag and say, what are my feelings about doing this? Am I aware of my feelings? Am I aware of my thoughts? What is my motive for doing this? Is it because proximity, this is the school in my neighborhood, Mm -hmm. or have I intentionally chosen this environment? If I have, why so? Is it because of the caliber and level of education that is offered. And then you have to know your child. Uh, and your knowing your child helps your child continue to learn themselves. And if you're ever going to put your child in a environment, an environment where they are in the minority, they have to have some sense of self. Because if you don't, you will allow everyone else to tell you who you are mm-hmm. versus knowing who you are. Now, of course, they're babies. And so it's cumulative and it's ever evolving. And you learn, I'm still growing, learning who I am in some aspects. But I think it is the mom and parent's responsibility of anyone or whoever's significant in that ch- child's life to speak value and worth about who they are before they place them in that environment. So that's the first thing I would tell mommies is to be... Um, just to be aware of all the unspoken things before you start going into the school, tearing it apart, telling it what it's not or whatever. Be aware of who you are and who your child is, how your child learns, your child's behavior, what you've observed about them before you place them in that environment and compile the variables that will now be before them. I agree. Man, that's deep. That's deep. Can, I, can we go back real quick? So 
how did you get to be a diversity consultant? Where where did this come from? So this is probably a great dialogue and conversation because this is one of my, I believe that my life is one of those examples. I mean, you and I were talking about a little of this even before we got on formally today, but about following your passion Mm -hmm. and doing what you feel compelled and called to do, whether somebody was going to pay you to do it or not. And then just to kind of watch how that then unfolds before you. So I started out as a therapist doing one-on-one counseling. And um, I would come across women and parents who would say, what we've done in this space in this moment has been so helpful. Would you be open, Mia, to coming to my small mom's group? Or would you be open to coming to my church or my organization and talking this out in real time before a larger group? Mm. This Whatever this was, we're working on in real time. And um, I said, of course, just would do that. So then I started like that. So then it would just grow from there where people would say, would you continue to do this? And then what I started to observe is I was a brown mommy, woman, professional, whatever, going into spaces where I was the one of only Mm -hmm. or very few people of color. Mm -hmm. And so then I started thinking, this is now an opportunity for me not only to help with what they've asked for, but to broaden their understanding and perspective of all the different ways that people might see the same situation coming from where they're coming from. Mm -hmm. My coming from uh, being an African-American mom Mm -hmm. and having children in that world. So then after that, I did work for PISD and consulting and worked for a parent education organization that would go into schools in Collin County and educate parents and talk about a gamut of issues. After that, I started working at a private school where my children were attending, and I was a a counselor in a counselor position there and worked with the social-emotional health of faculty, staff, Mm -hmm. administration, and the kids. So it was not a classic school counselor role. It was more of a emotional health. And it became blatantly obvious to me that I was invited into a space to have conversation about difference, diversity, just helping parents parent well. And then the shootings happened in Dallas uh, with the police officers. And at that time, I was asked to come and work on some special projects pertaining to that, dealing with the families and with some of what was going on just with the city as a whole mm-hmm. because it was quite divisive, if you remember that. Yes. I do. Yes. And I felt at that time that that was God also telling me to get my foot out of the boat and put it on the water because the little world that I had created for myself was a very safe world. It was a very comfortable world. Uh, people would come and ask for my advice and I would do, like, it just wasn't enough stretching and growing where I felt I was being called to task. Mm. And I never wanted to become complacent in my life or just like, I've made it, everybody else get your own. I always Mm -hmm. want to be ever growing and evolving. So I resigned from my job at the school and I began doing the work full time. And as soon as I resigned and did that, it was like a floodgate it was opened from organizations, and um, this is without it even being publicly announced or anything, from yeah. organizations, from churches, from schools, saying, Mrs. Embro, will you come in and have this conversation with us about mm-hmm. diversity and inclusion, how to make our staffs and f- staff and faculty at our schools more aware and mm-hmm. inclusive? Um, and I have been doing that solely. I, I still have other— dialogues that I do, but um, solely I've been doing that probably for the last three or four years that has been, that's been my sweet spot. 
Have you found the organizations that you've spoken to where you are the minority being receptive to your, I don't know if you provide suggestions or just conversations, have they been um, receptive in trying to implement that in their school and being successful with that? I think that some of it, so this is what I'll say. I've been doing this now in this area. When I say area like Dallas, uh, Fort Worth, the Metroplex for some time now. Um, And so there's kind of a history to me now. So I I will say this, that the people that invite me to the table are usually aware that we're about to do some work. Mm. And so I am not your traditional person who comes in like with the overheads and the handouts because I think that people use those as symbols that they somehow have learned something mm-hmm. when they, and I've been and I know we all in this room have been to a million conferences mm-hmm. you leave with the bag with all the stuff in it mm-hmm. and then it just sits somewhere in the trash in the trash right. oh okay I was <laughs> So absolutely. Okay. Anybody who knows right. me, I can't stand power. Right. I mean, I know PowerPoint and I can use it, but um, I don't like using it for meeting purposes. I just, I have a problem with the fact that every meeting has to use a PowerPoint. Okay, so I'm I, an interactive learner. I am too. And I'm an empath, which means when I walk into a space, I feel it. Mm-hmm. I can feel it. I can see, I see who's present just like everybody does, but I can see past like everything, like the clothes, the presentation, whatever. I am. I, it doesn't take me long to become aware of who is in the room and, and where they are. And so I wanted to get rid of any obstacles. So when I come into a space and I say, I'm coming to your school, we're going to talk about diversity with your faculty and staff. It is me, a microphone, and the faculty and staff. And we are having dialogues back and forth because I want to hear where they are, what they're really thinking. Mm-hmm. I only have to wait like about five minutes before somebody's going to pop off. Right. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you mean? Because they, they used the word school. diversity is a race. Right. And because people can't contain. And yeah. mm. there are things, there are trigger things that have been misused like diversity or inclusion. You know, that's the end thing now. Mm-hmm. And things like you talk about white privilege and all that. People get very sensitive and worked up about all that. Mm -hmm. But the good thing is, because I go in and out of different worlds kind of seamlessly because of my background or whatever, we can have those conversations in a safe space without any malintent. And we can, so I want to say, I do believe that progress is done and that we get a few steps ahead of the game than where we were because I'm very mindful about uh, creating a safe space where they can say things that are like, oops and ouch. Might not be the best things, but we're going to forgive that. We're going to correct it and educate it and move through it. So when a faculty and staff calls me to the table, they're ready to do the work. So I want to say, yes, they're ready to admit their flaws, their shortcomings, the things they do well, and they want to do better. So yes. Have you ever been brought in to, well, like I said, as you mentioned, you know, people who are inviting you, they're they're pretty receptive. That's the that's the basic idea. They're pr- receptive to having some kind of change happen in their school. At least or start the conversation. Or start the conversation. Yes. Have you ever been brought in a school or organization? Because Dallas is 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 just one of those areas where I feel coming from the East Coast, where it's it is divisive. It is, you know, and um, there are some that have the that want to say the word like they want to be open, you know, but they really, truly don't understand. So have you ever been brought in an organization or school district where they're more traditional than you thought? Absolutely. But I try to be proactive and 
ahead of the game, and maybe that's the therapist part of me that helps with that. So whenever someone invites me into a space, I start with whoever the top dog is in that organization, and we have a one-on-one, whoever that is. And I want to know, why are you asking me to come into your school? And what is it you're hoping will be the result of my coming into your school? And then at that point— you know, it's almost like a home. I can pretty much tell you, I can trace a kid back to their parent pretty often. So if I meet with the head of the school, that person, he or she can usually be an indicator of what I'm going to run into with faculty and staff and then with families mm. and with children because the head sets the tone. Mm-hmm. And so um, we, I can pretty much tell them at that point, I appreciate you inviting me to the table, but you're not ready. Or I can say, I can tell there is a want and a desire there, and I am willing to step into that and walk with you and your school on that. Or they're so head of the game that I'm just like, let's play. Let's go. Mm-hmm. Like, let's let's start auditing your curriculum and your faculty and staff. Let's see what kind of training you're bringing in. Let's look at the diversity amongst your staff. Let's see who you're recruiting because they are already familiar with that and they're ready to play. So it's a continuum. But there have been times when I'm invited to the table, but I always do it privately one-on-one with the head first and say, you're not quite ready. And I will might give them some recommendations of some books to read for their faculty and staff for summer reading, some questions that they need to answer, and then I can revisit them at a later time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. I like the idea of workshops that are very hands-on. Mm-hmm. As you mentioned, you know, you come in with a microphone and you do things like that. Um, I, um, I like, what's her name, Jane Elliott, mm-hmm. and kind of her, although she talks more of sociology, sociological standpoint from it. But they do intertwine. Yes. They do yeah, intertwine, absolutely. you know, with each other. So I kind of like almost, you know, not so much as you're trying to embarrass um, your participants, but it's, it's I, I really want them to be self-aware. And I know they have various um, trainings that they do with teachers and other professionals that that mm-hmm. kind of work with that. I even try to get away from, and you're right. So the the answer to that is to create the safe space, right? Yeah. So you just go in. I just go in from the get-go ripping off the Band-Aids. Like, we're going to say things that we probably shouldn't mm-hmm. say. Okay. We have to be aware of what our limitations are. Even with parents, who, like, what is it? Why do I feel the way that I feel about this? Mm-hmm. What happened in my life? What's in my suitcase that I haven't brought out and it's unresolved? Did I have a bad incident with someone and now I'm spraying that toxic stuff, you know, on mm. someone else? Uh, which is what happens sometimes when you are the one of only a few and then you bring your child into an environment that is like that. And if you have been wounded, you know, when they say hurt people hurt people, mm-hmm. if you're not aware of your own hurt and where that came from, and reconcile that somehow, people will use their children to play that out in real time in situations. So they'll say, like, I didn't get to do this or have this, so my kid is going to do it. But the but the child doesn't know that they're carrying your suitcase on their back. Mm-hmm. So they're going in. And so every conversation with a teacher or an administrator sounds like it's about your child. But what I found with parents is more than not, it's like about you. Like what you want, what you think mm-hmm. should happen And it really is about you, not that you know your child is an individualized being who has their own gifts and talents and abilities. Mm -hmm. 
it's almost like you own that child and you're telling that person, it kind of has a historical context is what I will say, but you're mm-hmm. telling that person what they have to do for your child instead of kind of letting your child be in that. So it's a it's always a dialogue with me because if it's not a dialogue, then I'm making too many assumptions. If I'm going in just to do a workshop or to, I'm assuming that everyone there is ready to receive what I'm saying. And it is only through dialogue that I become aware of, oh, you, yeah. You weren't ready. Mm-mm. Mm. Hmm. Mm. But you, however, because there's always one trailblazer, freedom fighter in the room. And I'm, you know, and you have to be real careful about the color assigned to them because sometimes that might be someone who is Caucasian or whatever, yeah. who is just clear as a bell. Yeah. That this conversation should have happened a long time ago. I can't believe we're now just now. T- so you got to be real careful when you're looking for your freedom fighters because they show up in all different forms. Mm. But I can't tell that unless I have a dialogue. Okay. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Gotcha. Wow. You were mentioning um, diversity in curriculum a little bit ago. What should a parent look for when it comes to diversity in curriculum or as a, if they have a choice of, say, hey, I want to either go private school, public school, Montessori, but I want diversity. And I know my child, like, what things should they be looking for as they're looking at with school options? So just curriculum-wise, or you mean in general? I'll put it—I'll go back to in general in terms of the word diversity. I mean, you know your child. What are things that are good flags, the non-red flags? Like, what is a parent looking for in diversity? So one of the things that I say just— carte blanche when I give it you want to look for a school that has an environment when you walk into it it feels like someone it's like having a guest at your home you feel like someone has anticipated your arrival versus reacted to your arrival and I don't and I in order to describe that I always say so if someone calls me and says Mia we're going to come spend the weekend with you and Tony at your home Mm -hmm. There's this little thing I go through where I want it to be a pleasurable experience for them, and I want them to feel like we're excited about their arrival. So I might ask questions like, what do you guys like to eat for breakfast? What do you, um, is there any kind of allergies or anything going on? What do you like to read? What, how do you like your pillow? Like just little moments that I want to happen in my home that when that person arrives, I'm not, like, shoving all the laundry off the couch. Like, for them to know, I knew you were coming, and I was excited about it. Because there's something about that. There's something even exciting for me when people are speaking to me, and they are having a conversation, and they say my name in the conversation. So they're talking to me, but they'll say, and Mia. There's something about being known and connected that makes everybody feel valued. So if you walk into a school you don't, it doesn't even have to be tangible, but if you can detect that they are happy with your arrival, not excited like you're somebody foreign coming in and they're, you know, gathering around to touch your hair, but like someone where they, you know, they have been waiting for you, almost praying for you, almost yearning for you, and you have arrived, you can feel that when you walk into a space. And no matter if the school is diverse race-wise or color-wise at all, when you look around at the boards that they've posted, the things they're talking about, it's reflective of everybody in the world. It's not just one race. So even if it's an all-white school, you still see diversity in 
the things they talk about. You see diversity in their staff and faculty. You see diversity in the influence makers, those that make big decisions. Um, and they're able to have conversations about it without feeling uncomfortable. So you want to look for a school that anticipates your arrival versus reacts to it. If that may, like, so reacting mm -hmm. means where they're constantly saying, well, we're working on it. You know, we, we, we're, tr we're working on it. Well, how are you working on it? What have you already begun to do? Who audits your curriculum to make sure that it's not the only way that black people are portrayed is not when it comes to slavery. All right now. Right? Are there yeah. other ways? Do we see heroes and sheroes? And do we see people that have brought change? And do you tell the whole story? Like you can't really tell the story of the Native Americans starting with the colonization, right? You got to go back mm -hmm. to the beginning of what they were doing on this land. You have to tell the whole story. So you want to look for environments like that when you are sniffing out diversity and inclusion in an educational environment. Does that get expensive? Can that be can that be expensive? Can what be expensive? Being diverse. Being yes. Yes, it can't. So it's an investment, right? Mm -hmm. But your intent is what arrives at the table. You, I always say it. I can tell you what people, what their priorities are by what they spend their money on. Mm -hmm. But going to your point, Melissa, as yeah. far as the curriculum here in Texas though I mean they've they've been having a lot of changes from legislation and higher ups who have been essentially creating a very narrow curriculum mm -hmm. I'll say that word mm -hmm. for the state and I can't speak for other states but because this is where I live and so how do you combat that from you know we're trying to look at it from a individual school but how can you when you have overheads yes. essentially dictating what you are to teach. That's you why mean you, like the state test? The they, test. We're teaching to the test. Teaching for the test, mm -hmm. um, throwing out textbooks or throwing out certain parts of history that yeah. they just don't want to include in textbooks. I mean, to, for example, I think recently they said they didn't want um, – narrative about Hillary Clinton in there. That got overturned, though. But yeah, that at, one, but that, at one point, but yes, that is it was removed that for like is a brief time. Exactly, yes. you know. Mm -hmm. um, that she like was that. running for president, like anything, yeah. Anything. The fact that she had ran for president was being removed. Although it was but overturned, yes. but why is that even? Well, that's why, yeah. I mean, this, so this <laughs> is that the even brought up, you know what I mean, as something. We've got to be a part of the, we've got to be a part of that. Like, so that's why it's so hard when you feel like you don't have a voice. So that's why I tell people run for office, you know, get up in mm -hmm. those ranks where there is a voice. So there is a part of us that gets frustrated with people for doing things like that, you know, and just saying, what is the why about it? But this is what I'm going to say. To you. It's not an excuse or justification or rationalization, but you only know what you know. Uh-oh. Right. Okay, so I'm going to— that, that's, that's I, I say that all the time. You do, and it is— as, <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm going to tell you, as frustrating as that is for me, because I'm always like, know better, do better, like, get out and learn, like, quit doing— and all of that is great. But the truth of the matter is— People do what they know how to do. So when those people are throwing all that out or whatever, it's because their world has not been affected by anything more than what they're working from. And so that's how they make the decisions. That's how people decide whether they're going to eat 
peanut butter and honey or peanut butter and jelly, right? There's no mm-hmm. rule that says you have to do peanut butter and jelly, but that's what the majority do. So now all you have to say is peanut butter and someone will say jelly, right? Mm-hmm. But you can eat whatever you want with your peanut butter. I'm just saying you just have to talk about that and someone <laughs> has to change the narrative, but it's exhausting and it's a lot of work and you have to do it. So what I have found is I think there are people who are born to run for office and do change in that way. And I think that's magnificent. I think we should cultivate that in our children. And that should always be an option that we put before them when they're considering careers. Is your, you have a voice on you, obviously, baby. And this it's going to be used for greater good. But I think there are others of us who kind of work from ground up. And you get into an environment. And although the rules have been applied about what can be talked about and what can't, you have a little bit more latitude. And I'm going to say this. I have a a little bit more latitude, especially if I'm moving in private school circles, because they do not teach to a test. Right. And so they are governance of their own entity, and so we have a lot more flexibility with those spaces. Mm -hmm. And that's where I spend most of my time. Mm. But we needed so much in the private schools. In the the public public schools, I I do that. But So this is what I will say about that. That doesn't mean that parents of children in the public school sector, because we'll talk about, you have to have a voice. You have to be engaged. Mm. You have to say, let me help you with these things. Uh, We've identified these opportunities for growth. You can't just sit back and be a complainer. Mm -hmm. We are not established enough as African Americans in the world for us to ever take that seat. We're not there yet. Mm -hmm. We have to be up and at them. And we have to have a voice and we have to see something that there's a need, just like you all have done with this podcast, identify a need and step into it. That mm-hmm. is the role we do. And then you keep talking to your babies about this is this is your responsibility. This is your role. This is what you're going to do. So it can be exciting or it can be a burden. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Whose responsibility is it for the school districts, public school districts, including public, private, charter, well, that's, you know, uh, to maintain or even initiate these kind of diverse conversations? Is it the school board? Is it the city council? Like, is it someone else? Like, whose responsibility is it? It's the city it? council. It's the school board and the administrators of those schools. And I will tell you this, the the administrators of each school have a lot of latitude as far as just the essence of the, the personality of the school and how it's going to be. And they will prioritize he or she what is most important to that culture of that school. Mm-hmm. So that's why if you're a parent, you have to be involved because you need to have the ear of whoever is the administration at, on your local school level. Hmm. What are some ways that a parent, or let's really talk about a parent's role in helping our children form identity? Oh, this is a sweet thing. (laughs) Because sometimes I wonder, like, how do you form your identity if you don't know your own ancestry or history? Am I correct in that thought or that that questioning? Am I like— No, no, no. That goes back to one of your answers where you're saying that you— you know, who? if you're complaining about a child, is it, you know, the issues of you or, you know, or what do you want from a child? So she, I feel yeah. like you kind of like expounded on that just a little bit, but let's, let's well, go Well, you don't, you, yeah, yeah. Can, you yeah. don't have all the answers, of you course. Don't. Yeah, you, you only know what you know. You, you only know what you know. So that's your, so, so that's your, so baseline. how do I unknow besides using, I mean, I know, I guess the, the easy answer is always Google, but yeah, what is not, what is, what? really should a parent do if they don't know? Like, how can we help our parents who need to form their child's identity? 
Okay, so this is what I'll say. So when they are babies, and I say, I call them all babies now at this point, but when they're in elementary, middle school, you're always ever evolving and growing, right? Mm -hmm. So you don't have this complete formation. And the prefrontal cortex of your brain, which is where you do rational thought and make decisions, is not fully formed until age 25. So you think What? Yeah. Yes, girl. Your brain, look at me, your brain. I think you just you just totally cut me, dog. I'm saying it's like your brain doesn't fully mature function until like 26. So think of all the things that you are held responsible. You learn how to drive, Mm -hmm. you learn how to all these things that people are like, why did you do that? And people and the kids say, I don't know, because they don't know, because their brain. It's not—that rational thinking is not fully matured. So that's part of knowing your child, too, and knowing that it is a process. So what you're doing when they're little is you're just planting seeds. You're just putting seeds in there, and you're being consistent in your expectations of them and habits of them so that it becomes that. And then as they grow, they will begin to take that on as their own, but they are going through this process of thinking about, why do we do this? What does this mean for our family? Because one of the things, and I, I'll just say this culturally because I'm African-American and I feel like I can go in on this, is sometimes we take on things from our parents that come from their fears or their lack of knowing, but they have presented it to us as truth. And then we give it le- life and legs and it becomes a limitation in our life because we don't understand the origin of it, that it somehow came from fear. So it might be it ha- it might be something like in historical context where you have to tell your brown children like, you better be quiet, right? You better act right. You better not cause a ruckus. Like think this goes all the way up to our conversation now that we have with our young men before they drive. You know, while being black or like, you just better behave. That has such historical, such a historical beginning about mm-hmm. we just needed to be good and quiet and not cause a ruckus well because they kept us in control matter, well no it was true and it still it's, is a truly a matter of life and death yes yeah so, so but you've got to talk about that do you mean so i'm all about conversations which i know that you all are but in your conversation with your child you're you can't it You've got to have an open dialogue in your home that is always about that. Like, this is where that comes from. Mm-hmm. Does that mean, my love, that you don't have a voice and you don't have something important to say? Does that mean that you are wrong and that you have? That's not what that means. Because what happens is then, sometimes what I'll say is then the kids will just shut down and you'll have some child who was gifted with just this powerful voice to speak into spaces that needed to be spoken into. But because they've been so beaten down behind be quiet, you know, don't say anything. They're not sure what the rules are of of how to use that. So that's when I talk about your identity. So if you're telling your child, like, don't do this, don't that, but they know with everything in them that they are called to do something, to be a speaker, to whatever that is, Mm -hmm. but you're constantly telling them what they can't do, it's kind of this dissonance, like they're not sure what it is. So identity, your role at home is to create spaces and places where your child can step into their value and worth and be affirmed for it, and where they hear the messages of, you're gifted, you're talented with this, you're a phenomenal artist, you walk into a room and speak and everybody listens to you. I can't wait to see what that gift is going to become. You are powerful. Like, they've got to hear that informing their identity more so than telling them what they're not. This is what I always tell parents. 
we in the world will soon enough figure out what we're not because plenty of people are going to tell, tell you. It. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. They'll sign sure. up and they'll stand up in a line and tell you for free what you are not. How about those people who tell you, identify what you are and what you do do well? How empowering mm. is that? So then when you, it's like putting marbles in a jar. So you're putting all these, mar- not these all-encompassing, almost like fibs. Like, don't tell them like, you're the best ever at that. Because that's probably not true. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's just a lot. It's probably that's a that, lot. That's yeah. that participation trophy. Right. You know what I mean? Some like, things you're not. Like, <laughs> it's like, I, like, I love to hear you sing around the house, and I think that it brings me, it brings my heart joy and all that. But, but I, that is not what the Lord called you to do. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think, I think you have to be truthful of that, but also you I have to— I wouldn't say it like that, though. But you could, because okay. it's funny. Cause so, you, no, I yeah. mean, I won't— I'm, what is it? I mean, thankfully me. my son don't sing like that. Well, that's not true. He does. Look but. at me. I'm going to use myself, because when I was younger, I would sing like no other. I haven't heard you sing a lick. I've been at your house several times. I know. Because somebody told her. Somebody. I didn't tell her. Don't, well, don't no, y'all you email know what? me. Don't An y'all experience email me. told me, because oh. I thought I was so good. And here's an anecdote, right? So I thought, I well, not so good. I thought I could sing, you know? So I tried out for a high school play, Right. And so, mind you, this is a high school play in New York City. Oh, yeah. Y'all y'all don't ever play. Right. So, you know, I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. You know, I'm going to sing. That's the I go Apollo. Up there. Oh, yes, it was. It truly is. It is your little, it's a little mm-hmm. showtime little at the Apollo. Mm-hmm. So, I went and I sang my little thing. And, child, they were like, it was silence. <laughs> After that, and then, like a silent clap. It, it was like, a real clap. It was, it was like, like, okay. Mm-hmm. It was like, bless your heart. Bless. Yes. It truly was. That's how they are in New York. They do the silent clap. You know, we mm-hmm. so we so hardcore. Over I know, so, but it's still the same but message, it was, but bless your heart. It was yeah. bless your, mm-hmm. But, you know, I learned right then and there, you know, singing in the shower is my calling. So that's what I'm saying. The world is gonna, <laughs> the world is going to tell you They're those things. Yeah, yeah. But when yeah. your child arrives up, so the identity is important because if I if you don't have a sense of who you are and enough marbles to spare, as the world is taking them out, like once you do that, like well, somebody took your marble out on the singing thing. Mm-hmm. But you have if you have enough reserve, then you're going to be all right. I just think that's yes. important uh, yes. with our babies because they walk into this world, and sometimes if you put them in an environment where they're surrounded by where they're one or only a few, sometimes, not always, I don't want to be general, they're surrounded by all these kids who have been told consistently who they are and what they can do. Mm-hmm. And have yeah. been exposed to it. Mm-hmm. And they are real comfortable in their mm-hmm. world, yes. like, moving yeah. around. Yes. And your yes. baby is kind of terrified because they don't want anything, you know, no, don't touch anything, don't do anything. So this is it's a fine conversation about, but you need to know who you are. You were created for a purpose. You are not a mistake. You don't have to justify your voice at the table nor your arrival at the table. There should be a seat for you. And if there's not, you should be able to talk about that, even when mommy's not around you. Like, you should be able to say what's going on. But you have to empower a human being to feel their worth in order for them to step into that. So identity is exposing your child to things in the world, having ongoing conversations about why we do say the things we say to them. Um telling them and affirming them for what they do well, uh, appreciating their diversity that Mm -hmm. they might like. You know, some little girls, from the moment they are born, get up and start dressing themselves. Like, they just have this sense of... Fashion. 
whatever you want to call Like, they just do it. And then other children, no. So I'm just saying, you just see little elements of who they are evolving all the time. Lean into that and learn them. Not They're not supposed to be many yous, like mm-hmm, copies mm-hmm. of you. They have a, a divine destiny that is specific to them. You have to nurture that as a parent and affirm that and tell them every day what you see in them and what they do well and what you can't wait to see come to fruition. Like, that is so empowering. I had a great-grandmother growing up, and I can remember I was a little girl. She used to say to me, anytime she had a headache or anything, she would say, Mia, come put your hand on my, whatever it was, my head or whatever. She said, you have beautiful healing hands. Whenever you touch somebody, they are better. Now, I'm five or six when she's saying that. Mm -hmm. But she says it, like, for a long time, until the day she dies. Like, that's what she's known for. Do you know that now when I walk into a space, and maybe it's not my hands or whatever, I can still, people might say, you've left this space better Mm. when you've come. Well, that's a message. That was an expectation that I had, Mm -hmm. that someone had given me from a long time ago. Or for someone to say, you have a voice. Now, they might have been telling me to be quiet back then. Like, can you sit down somewhere and just quit telling your thoughts in your head and Mm -hmm. what you think about But now that's what I do for a living. (laughs) How can a parent translate their child's identity to to a school? Or um, I guess what I'm getting at is we we have—I guess I'm trying to look beyond the fact, okay, now your kid's in a a school that is predominantly of a different nationality, race. Mm -hmm. And— Maybe the things that the child is doing, I don't want to say they're acting out. I don't know. It's different than what the school is accustomed to. And it puts the, it makes the school either constantly call you as a parent, say, come get your kid. It makes it feel like the, the school doesn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. How, what steps would you recommend a parent do because maybe it's really all about the diversification of a child. Or maybe their gifts are not, like, being brought to light. What can a parent, what should a parent do? So the first thing when we talked about earlier about you being clear as a parent about what that environment looks like when you first go to look at that school. Maybe they're already in it. Maybe it's like, you, oh. you know, you can't. I okay. Mean, what so if they think, can't really change schools? You cannot. Okay. So you're realistic about maybe what this environment is and what the expectation is. And then you are also realistic about who your child is. Yeah. Like they're asking these kids to sit in a desk from 7 a.m. until 3 p.m. with very little. But, and my child never stops moving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a bad match. Yeah. You yeah. mean like that's, right. you're, it's kind of a setup. Yeah. Um, and so you have to be aware of that. But I, so, I think there's a little bit sprinkle of everything. If it is a school that is not diverse in the way that, in the element of diversity that you and your child are bringing to the table, I do think there needs to be a conversation. But I think as a parent, you have to be clear on, are they asking something unrealistic? Or is this just a different way of something being done, like you said? Okay. And then it becomes an educational opportunity in some ways, which people we grow weary of, but it happens where you're anytime you're the first or the only of something, 
there comes an element of education with that. Yeah. So you're going to have to be emotionally regulated because I've seen this play out a lot of different ways. I've seen a parent come in immediately and just tear up that school and make it about race and, you yeah. know. I can, I can definitely see that. Yeah, they mm-hmm. can go zero six. Oh, it's because I'm black. Immediately. We're black. Immediately. Yeah. And I'm thinking, mm-mm, you know, because I've been here and there might be some of that. Okay. But there's some... There's some other issues. There's some discipline issues that need to be addressed. Mm-hmm. There is some, and when I say discipline, I mean just like habits need to be established with this child. And then confidence needs to be built in this child. Like there's some other elements mm-hmm. that will help in this way uh, to help speak to this. But also parents need to be clear about the teacher. Is the teacher Does the teacher seem like someone who is accepting and loving and kind to all children? Do there seem to be some disparities? Mm-hmm. So being able to have those conversations with teachers without being overly emotional, because mm-hmm. then the emotion becomes the focus for schools, and then you become the crazy mom. Instead of being able to move through these, whatever they are, opportunities for growth, concerns, yeah. in a rational way where you can move through it and say, this is why I'm concerned about this. I think perhaps this is just something you haven't seen before, but I don't know that anything is wrong with it, mm. but this is just mm-hmm. the way that we move through. So being able to know that that is part of your role in moving through those conversations. Mm. I've seen it happen a million times. Now, there was a time, a season where our little uh, African-American boys, and I do think that they have all um, are the ones that are targeted the most or have the most kind of, we don't know what to do with this element. Yeah, I was, was going to lead into that in terms of what your thoughts were on how. I do think yeah. there's a learning curve on our boys and whatever that is. Now, I will say, again, I said that before because I, I understand the unseen things in life have as much weight as the seen things. And so I just think the historical connotations put on our African-American boys so you have you put them in an all white school with white teachers. What like some of that is coming to the table. Nobody's talking about it, and people might not even be aware that it it is in there. But it is in there because number one, it's never been reconciled, right? Mm-hmm. And number two, because it is what it is. You don't you know what you know. So if that's your only context is what you've seen about black men has been through media or through whatever news or whatever. Even if you believe that you're an evolved person, you still are walking in a narrative that you've been given about who you are before I have even met you. Mm -hmm. So when you come to the table, I'm going to act some of that out. It doesn't matter if you're an educator or not. That's what happens. That's why whoever is in the head, whether that be the administration or whatever, needs to vet their faculty and staff and have those dialogues with them upon hire to say, Let's walk this out. Let's do some scenarios. What's some role plays? What? How do you think through things if this happens? If a little African-American boy is in your classroom and he seems to be all over and doing that or whatever, walk me through that. What does that look like for you? What's your first impulse or thought or whatever? But you will have had to create a safe space for your faculty and staff to have authentic, transparent conversations, or you will have no growth in that element. Because most people will say, oh, I got it. I can handle it. But that's not true. They can't. That's okay. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask you how what schools should, you know, redo. They have to train. They from the beginning up on higher. They should start that they have these critical, courageous conversations with their faculty and staff. But that's assuming that the people that are hiring are ready for that and want it. And yeah, your want is what arrives. You invite your want. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Or even your need. Like you might say, because what happens with most of these schools is they're phenomenal schools because they're known and they might have a waiting list. So they would be able to rationalize or justify that we don't need to do this or diversify anymore because people are lined up to come here. But then you have other administrators and leaders who will say it's about the quality of who we are, what we want to be able to say. And so in order to do that, we have to hold ourselves accountable in this vein. And those are the people that usually invite me to the table because then they're ready to do, like, the dirty work. Yeah. Is there such thing as, like, a follow-up for schools? What should be, like, their... Do they need to have, like, a re-follow-up with you, like, a year later, two years later, yes. five years later? Like, yes. what's, like, their... What's the plan of attack for Yes. <laughs> the plan of attack. Sorry, we, it depends on where they are expensive. on the continuum. Okay. But some schools I do revis- revisit throughout the year. And if they are, like, hungry for it, but yet have not exercise it a lot, then throughout the year, like all their in-services, any breaks that they have where I just have the faculty and staff and the kids, like we revisit and I come in. And so we look at things like numbers. Not I I try not to get too tethered to how many, like I said, tan, brown, yellow, because that doesn't always mean anything because sometimes those kids are in the space and they still feel isolated Mm. by that. So we look at that a little bit. We have our dialogue about how do you all feel like you've grown, like personally, What's going on personally in your personal life that has the fingerprints of this? Is because is this is like Dr. King said, you're not going to get any diversity on a Sunday morning at church at eleven o'clock hour. That's right. not true. If your six o'clock hour on a Saturday evening the night before is not that way, like you can't just fake the funk. You have to have lived this. It has to be part of your life and who you are. The conversations that happen in your home in order for you to be ready to kind of transition that into education as an educator. And so we talk about all those conversations. We talk about what they're reading, what they're watching on TV, where they're getting their narratives supported from, their aha moments that they're having, their struggles, uh, what's happening. And then we kind of mark, like, so does the environment feel different now? How has the school changed? And they should be able to verbalize that in some way with some definitive tangible markers in some area. Like the speakers that we bring in to speak to the children are now of a cast of hues. You know, it used to be all white. Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. when we do a music fest, this is what we bring in. Or when we watch movies, this is what we've done. When we teach history in ninth grade, this is how we've expanded our curriculum. So we go through and just audit social, mm. emotional, and, you know, just educational we go through all of that. Has anybody with influence and a voice been hired on your staff and faculty um, to bring another voice to the table that's representative of women or people of color? Or is it still an all-white male board making decisions about what's in the best interest of the school, although I'm paying tuition, you know? Mm-hmm. So we that's how we go back and do checks, and I do it all throughout the year. Sometimes it's for a year, sometimes it's for five years. Are you permitted to tell us who's like a model school? <laughs> I don't know if without I would, quoting. I know it, mm-hmm. not saying it's like endorsing, but I'm just kind of curious. Are you permitted to tell I don't us? Think I, I am. Okay. okay, good. <laughs> like, okay, good. I was like, <laughs> but I will say that some of the people that are doing some of the best work, or some of the would be surprising to people because they they're the ones who I would think sometimes have, would have no reason or justification to want it, and they do want it. Okay. Do you provide trainings to predominantly African American schools or populations? In regards to diversity, mm-hmm. I have not. Okay, but I would. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a there's a different um, 
people think about things differently. So there's this ongoing back and forth, and I respect the conversation. Sometimes people, I did a retreat, I spoke at a women's women's retreat uh, two weekends ago at an all-Asian American church, but it was women. They're all-Asian American. And theirs was on diversity, and we have this, and I've gone into spaces like that where it's exclusively something, but they will talk about, like, so what, so does that mean it's wrong to have an all-whatever, African-American school? Asian American church, because if we don't have those things, Mia, then where do we go for our affirmation and empowerment? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So I'm not saying one or the other or this or that or whatever. I'm just saying to be prepared and open to the possibility of either or. And I do, in my observation and experience, have seen that the more diversity that comes to the table, whatever that is, age, gender, color, whatever, the more expansiveness of thought and consideration that is brought. And I am a thinker and a creative in that way, and I all, I don't like to be boxed in on anything. Like, I don't like to be, I don't like to be closed up. I don't mm-hmm. like to mm-hmm. be in tight spaces. Mm-hmm. And I'm not like that with the way that I think either. Like, don't tell me who I am. Like, let me tell you who I am, and give me the opportunity to always grow and do that. So that means I have to mix it up a little bit. Mm -hmm. I can't just be around what is comfortable for me at all times because then I don't know what that looks like when I'm not around that. And the reason I ask that is only because, I mean, the reason I ask is because, you know, there's nothing wrong with having, you know, affirmation, and I'm not looking at it from a standpoint of, like, let's bring in more diverse children. I'm thinking more, let's diverse thought. Yeah. Diverse thought process. So we can, for example, have an all African-American school and the board is African-American, but they're all, you know, 50-year-old church, (coughs) you know, bump-thumping folks. And, you know, like I was saying, we can have, you know, that, Mm -hmm. but— of a when you're of a certain mindset, if you're you know highly religious, you tend to have very conservative views. Absolutely, you're clear. So I want to speak to that. So because yes. I even say that in regards to like an all white school, I does it doesn't matter to me if you never change. It's more about the mindset and the thought. So you are correct. And when I talk about diversity, just like you said, if it's a bunch of fifty year old men, and I. All due respect to the fifty-year-old. Yeah, but, right, right. Yeah, but if you don't diversify that, it's you're not going to get the full possibility of what could be. Exactly. Absolutely. So absolutely. You, you know, you want to have more progressive thinkers on a board. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. or progressive. You know, mm-hmm. yes. Uh, things like that. That's that's all. That's the point I was getting. You're to with as far me. Yes. No. <laughs> so you're as, with me. So that and that is the same. That's the same lens that I go into every environment. So then the answer would be, yes, I could do that. Am I? But this is interesting. I'm not invited into those spaces. Hmm, I bet. Right. Because do you think that because they're afraid that you're going to say, look at it more as a race situation? No, no, no. Because they're holding, I I think you're holding the mirror to their face. Yeah. Yes. And that is the process is to bring the mirror to the face. It is. You know, and we as a people, we we are conservative. I'm like, let's just get into this. Yeah, no, we, we are, are a conservative bunch. We are conservative with certain things. It's very interesting. Like we are, but then there yeah, are, are other things. It's protective. We're protective. I well, feel so like. this is what I call. They call it protective, but sometimes I call it dysfunctional. Oh, 
and I'm good. <laughs> and no, and not in a, and I'm going to say not in a, and I, you know, this is what I'm going to say. Not, this is part of freedom. Not, this, is the real, this is where the real. Yeah, this is part of freedom. <laughs> yeah. Not because of, um, it's not like really safety. Is we are secret keepers. And we have information that has wounded and that has prohibited and that has limited the greatness of who we are in many aspects. But we have never had spaces established where we get to talk that out and talk. You know, we're not big on therapy. We're not big on those things like that. So we just kind of keep it and you get, but you push through, and mm-hmm. which is great sometimes. Mm-hmm. It works. But what I tell people that that doesn't make it go away. Mm-hmm. And it's going to play out in some element of your life. And if you have felt powerless in your life and like you didn't have a voice and no one affirmed that, you're going to play out that power on a church board, on a school board, and no one's going to be able to move you even when you're no no longer effective or whatever because it is in that space and place that you feel valued and heard and seen. But you have the inability to dot to dot that back to the fact that's because in your life, you have not felt that power and worth mm-hmm, and see. Mm. So now you're spraying that unresolved stuff on everybody around you, and it's limiting a whole organization because you're scared to put a mirror to your face because you feel like if we put the mirror to your face and you see all the scars and all the bruises, you don't know if you can live through that. You can, but we just haven't worked that muscle to know that. So I'm going to tell you, that is the unspoken that, stuff yeah, in, in yeah. that conduit. That's the gunk in there, and it can be cleared out and freed up. And people, I don't want to generalize no. and say that everybody does that, but that is what I see that played over and over again where something is ineffective, but people keep doing it. That's insanity. Yup. I like how you both turned and looked at me. I was like... I <laughs> No, no, no. I'm not. I mean, I know you're no, not I'm, trying to put I'm it just speaking from a standpoint. No, because yeah. overall, like, the educational system is a segregated one. I'm just putting it out there. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, public and private. Public and private. Pro- if, you know, it is of, um, let's see, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, you are privileged to be able to attend to a private school. Period. A- absolutely. Right? Period. Right. Period. All right. That's fine. But a good majority of us go to public school and we have school boards that are of in areas that are predominantly African-American, predominantly whatever, Hispanic, you know what I mean? White, whatever. And so, you know, they they try to, quote unquote, we're going to say diversify or, or expand their curriculum or try to do all that. But going to your point, you know, they're trying to do the same thing over and over and I'm like, okay, well then, if the it's not working, the same stuff every February, the 28 days. Every February, we're having the same programs, the you know. Same. If you want to, you know, try to uplift males and things like that, but it's not working because, you know, of X, Y, and Z. You're not having the same um, teacher teacher burnout. That's another factor that plays into that. They're not, um, you know. Being open to having a different curriculum. They're not open to doing that. So they want to bring in the same old, same old, <laughs> you know. And then you have the same old parents who are not pushing to do anything about it. Like Mia saying, you have to be engaged. And you have to introduce you those have to new... push yourself to be engaged. So if you don't have those people, because most things, if not, and I'm not saying that all, but a majority of things are fear-based. So why people won't change, why people won't 
challenge the system, mm-hmm. why they want is either they're weary, they have been that person, that freedom fighter, and no one, nothing happens, or they're just like you said, they like don't rock the boat. Right. What we have here is a good thing. But I'm always thinking, but you know, it could be better. Like, right. It could be, it really can be, and it's okay. And we're not negating the good of what is presently and what has been done. Like, I'm not trying to say out with that or whatever. I'm just saying, let's be ever-growing, ever-evolving. But in order to do that, you've got to bring these young, these people into the table who are leaders, who have a voice, who are willing to do the work. Mm-hmm. But yeah. the longer you wait, the more it cements. Yes. Yeah. And then people start almost looking at you like you're insane. Like, how dare you come in my space Yeah, and try of- to disrupt, you know, so that's historical, too, because that, we start owning space because we've never had anything to own. So uh, this becomes my pew. This becomes my board. This, this becomes because I, I run the school. I run the school board. I run this district. Give people just a few minutes and they will tell you who they are and you better believe it. That's all I got to tell you. Once you start hearing that kind of stuff, that you've got all kind of implications there. I say that to say because elections are coming up now. You know, in the... It's like there's elections every month. In various counties. Um, (laughs) You know, Dallas sets the tone, I feel like, uh, for surrounding cities and suburbs. So I think this is definitely one, you know, election to watch. You know, we've got various people running for city council and school boards and things like that. Be informed. Just to watch it. Be informed. informed. Be educated. Make a difference. Say something. Like, yes. If you ain't going to run, then you need to push your... You need to hold your people accountable. Yes. But you've got to be you've got to be active to do that. You've got to be involved. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you can't just sit. This is a, there's you can't just like, use your kids and keep saying you busy. <clears throat> I'm with y'all going roll with that because you know I can't stand those words. You know, Lord. So I know I, I know said, it's and, a and, preachy and, thing, but at some no, point preachy, people have got the, to just the root of our podcast. We talk about you know black motherhood, black people, black things. We're trying to solidify that. And I want to go into the fact like, okay, the school district is segregated. It is what it is. I mean, that's not privy to Dallas. That's just nationwide. Go to any metropolitan Very city. true. Very true. You know true. what I mean? And so it's kind of like, what do we do, you know, at this point, whether we go to all African-American public school or predominantly African-American private schools, what do we do to, quote unquote, diversify, you know, bring in not mm-hmm. only the the... You know, we could have an even mix of conservative and progressive thought. Fair. That's what makes a. That's what so makes a great United board, States. Actually, <laughs> democracy. Mm-hmm. Yes. That makes a great democracy. But also on the fact of you know even diversifying, having you know more private school bring in more special needs kids or something like that. You know, that's diversity. It, it is. is. It's ability. Mm-hmm. It's, it's ability. ability. It's ability. Yeah, it's yeah. ability. But we find that some are just you know you don't if you go into a well-known private school. You may not see that. Well, that's because it takes time. They will say it takes time away from those who are signing up, you know, who are trying to do mm-hmm. big, huge things. So we'd have to slow down. It's about humanity and all that, too. But you're, we're never going—it's never going to be all right at all times, at all places. But I do think when you have voices like you all have, that those have to be brought to the table. You have to elicit thought and consideration and cause people to ponder because sometimes silence is indicative of complacency as right, well, right? Right, And I know people get weary of speaking and saying things, but I cannot tell you the the amount of times when I've just said something and someone has said, no one has ever said that to us. Like you go in and you'll say, have you ever noticed that your board is all black men that are 50 or <laughs> all white men? And they'll be like, 
No, because when you're in it, it feels common to you. Like, that, that's all you know. Like, it mm-hmm. takes somebody looking through the window to go, hey, your house is on fire. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if you can. So, I think some people, you'd be more than not surprised that some people, even if they balk at it at first, by the way that you go about it, they are willing to engage in that conversation. But you're also going to have to help them brainstorm and troubleshoot about, so are you willing to run for board? Are you willing? Like, you're going to have to take ownership of that in some mm-hmm. aspect and make it like just like you tell your kids. I tell my well, I tell my kids if you want to be the change that you want, like if that's what if that's bothering you like that, yeah, you probably need to or you need to cultivate something in one of your girlfriends or something to say you were made for this. I've seen it. This is what I've watched you do all your life. We're going to support you as you run for this office or you do this or whatever. But it also means showing up at the board meetings and things like that and speaking your truth. Mm-hmm. Not screaming like a maniac, but being able to articulate your truth and to support it and to make a definitive position on why there's a concern attached to it. Sure. Have you ever trained <clears throat> parent groups on how to be the change? Yes. Wow. Mm-hmm. But more than that, but I'm going to say this, more than that, what I have learned in my experience now, almost going through years, is if I can speak to parents just about that whole concept we talked about at the very beginning of the podcast about knowing yourself and what is in your suitcase and what is your stuff that if infects everything in your life, if they can get a handle on that and a sense of, because what I find is there are adults who don't know who they are, mm-hmm. who don't have a sense of identity. Mm-hmm. They've just kind of responded to whatever else is out there. If we can tweak that and kind of get an awareness going of that, everything else almost falls in place. So then they learn to have a voice. Then they start speaking in spaces. Their emotional regulation is, they're more aware of that. Like, am I am I really mad or am I really sad? You know, we're just so, and, and what am I sad about? And what do I need? Like, self-care. I know you all have talked about that. Like, when parents engage, the more that beings engage in those things like that, then the more you can give away to other people. And so I find if I can start in the very beginning with things like that, all these other things— kind of find their place in their home mm. we're just always working out our stuff in real time and we don't even realize that but we are amen mm-hmm. can you give the um <clears throat> acronym again i think it was like grace, grace. Yeah. Just and i say grace because i think anytime you engage in this topic or conversation you have to have grace with one another that whole oops and ouch because people will say stupid things that they shouldn't say mm-hmm. and you've got to be exercise forgiveness on that and saying i I don't think you mean to say that, but let me tell you why that can be offensive to mm-hmm. people. Or So, grace, but it stands for gender, race, ability, culture, and socioeconomic status. So, you know uh, the economic is the ear. Those are the ways in which we vary most amongst one another as human beings. Is that male, fee, you know, whatever's, you know, there's no women at the table or... Race always is a factor. Or ability. We talked about that. You have a continuum of abilities and and what people have growth opportunities in or what their struggles are. Uh, And then you talk about um, their socioeconomic status. That's a huge player. I'm just going to tell you this because what will happen sometimes, even with us as African-Americans, we'll get in that space where we're one of few mm-hmm. and we're really not trying to invite anybody, <laughs> more of us to the table. Because you, we are thinking you're going to mess it up for everybody. We, <laughs> we are here. We've got our sweet spot. People like us. We are the one. We are loved here, revered. We are the example. And I, 
I mean, we just can't be bringing too many of us up in here because there's a quota. You, you're gonna miss. Well, no, not the quota. It's, even. No, it's <laughs> it's us. Saying. It's that's us what I'm saying. That's self limit. You know, because we're just like okay. Well, you know how people will move certain areas or whatever, yeah, no. and and be like, well, listen, you know, I moved here because you know, yeah, you know, I'm trying to be. You know, being the token is all right. So that's the honesty of it all. <laughs> that's, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's what I'm saying when I say a safe space. Like, that's the honesty of it all. We try not to talk about that element. And we always, pre- I mean, there is certainly this, Every well, I'm just going to say, that's the part of this set, to speak the truth and set, it shall set yes. you free. Yes. Because you have to walk through that. It's not, not all of us are trying to d- do this. Like, we're trying to escape. <laughs> each other almost we're not we're not trying to do it no no we'll, tell the truth or say that <laughs> say that say that we'll join the, because we're on the run we're on the run because in our mind or whatever we're just like no because we can't get it together and if too many of y'all come to the table like y'all gonna mess it up y'all gonna do something that's gonna bring it's just it's gonna mess it up I, it's a good point to that so um on facebook in one of my mommy groups um there's that article circulating how they're trying to impose um, um, dress oh. code to certain schools or whatever. And I, y'all are laughing or whatever. Y'all are balking at that. And there was this one girl in the mommy group. So she was just like, you know what? I go to this, I go to the, you know, my kids go to this predominantly white school or whatever, and it's me and then there's another uh, mom that rolls up in there. And so she said that mom rolls up in there in any kind of way, right? Now, is the other mom one of us? Yes, she is. Yes, she is. And so she said, well, I have to dress better than to try to offset, you know, that that mom who's dressing you know, any kind of way, come in and with a bonnet or whatever. So I have to dress even much better than what I usually would. I'm like, girl, what? Did you say bonnet? Yeah, because she comes in with a bonnet. Well, that's what they, you know. That's, that's what's the, in that article. That's though. what it's that, in the, the article. But yeah, but that, the, that's why they're. That's but the why mom, but in that, that right? mom group, the mom was like, I, you know, the, that actual other mom. So it's just the two of them. You know what I mean? It's just the two of them in this all white space, and she comes in with a bonnet sometimes, and I was just like. So I'm saying there's some truth to that, right? Because you you do that, and then your child has the mom that comes with the bonnet. Do you, like, so and the mom gets labeled, right? And it, it's not necessary. Like, there's too many other platforms that we're going to have to speak in just for the bonnet to become the thing, the so, dre- or the dress code itself. I'm like, we out here worrying about the wrong thing. The whole country is worried about this dress code. The wrong thing, but we can't and worry I, about the curriculum that's uh, taking place. But um, um, but, but, listen, but we've I only, go back in my but we've only my had, yoga pants. Yes, we've only had spaces that allow us to entertain superficial things. So because mm-hmm. we haven't been invited to the table on anything with great depth, that do you mean? So then mm-hmm. that's where you sit. That's where you rest. But until the truth of that is revealed, and there's no shame or judgment in that. No, nope. but that's the reality of it. That we. Struggle with one another. Yes, that's the struggle. Just one. as much, if not more, than we struggle with people that differ Dang. from us. Listen, you know, my husband was a former teacher in the school, right? To me, I, I personally do not care. I'm just happy that you show up at this point in time because our schools are so dire, you know? 
I'm just happy that you are showing up. And if you are active and you out here in some booty shorts and house slippers and a bonnet, but you are out here speaking the truth, what you wearing tomorrow, boo? Okay, because I don't care. I don't care. I just want you to be active. You don't care, but you know there are people that do care. I know. I we know. Are, we can be very presentational. Uh, of course. Of course. Look, and I, look at me. Again, here. not yes, a general statement, not but a, yeah. that is part of, we can, we get caught up in the weeds on that sometimes. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people do. Because people do that towards us as we, but I'm just saying you are evolved in that way because if that person is doing something and has a voice or whatever, that's what they're going to become known for. But you got to get past, you know, that's the same spill we give our kids, right? Yeah. Like, don't yeah. go in there acting a monkey fool now. Right, right. Or act a monkey fool when it's necessary. But it, but you, <laughs> look but at you me, look act a monkey fool when it's necessary, but you better know your multiplication tables too. Hey, exactly. Exactly. Now, don't let they can go left or right. Yeah. But you better be able to answer everything. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, yes. yeah. So, you know, yeah. Sm- if you're smart and you act a monkey fool, th- I'm going to be right there behind you. Listen. With your bonnet on and your booty short. Okay. I, I won't be in that line, but <laughs> like, but I'm with, I mean, I'll, I, I, I will it, help. You be in, I'll be in my <laughs> yoga pants. I will not be in the booty shorts. And what but else? Yeah. You know, it's, it's summertime, fine. <laughs> I get it. See, <laughs> well, summertime, she's saying that, but she's not going to roll. See, we're all shirt. over the continuum, and that's what I'm saying. We right. are all over the continuum. So, yeah, I'm like, I, I just don't know. Yeah. Then you bring gender into that, and what? Yeah. Men think of women in mm-hmm. leadership positions, and what? Right, that, right, oh, right. So, mm-hmm. so we talked a lot. We there talked we a, did. We, we, we talked a lot about it. Yes, what, what, are, it. what are What are your takeaways for our mothers when it comes to schools, what are three things that our listeners, and some are actually dads, um, can do this week when it comes to diversity in their schools? To take, I think the first thing I would say, just take a look around at the environment where your child is and look for opportunities of growth, whether that is the diversification of the faculty and staff that are there, the administrators that make the decisions there, um, the almost take uh, in hindsight what your child has learned this year. Has there been anything in the knowledge that they have gained over the past year that has been supportive of diversity in any way? Have they Mm -hmm. learned something new about someone else, someone else's contribution to any subject matter that they're learning that is uh, different than what they are, whether that's race, ability, gender? And are they able to articulate that back and tell you why that was so important to our history? Look at the programs that have come into your children's school over the past year, who, if any speakers have come in, and just give that thought and reflection. And then if it's enough for you to say, hmm, this is this is a challenge. This is somewhere we can grow. Then to make an intentional effort to go back and meet with your principal or your and talk through those things in a way uh, that brings light to them. The second thing I would do is to say, how is my child a better person? How have they grown after having been in this space for this school year? What do I see in them? How have they matured? How are they refined? And then to ask yourself a self-aware question, what have I done to contribute mm. to this space and place where I place my child for the majority of their day? Where are my fingerprints on this school? 
And some people will say, well, my child is there. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. Right. Mm-hmm. Where has your voice shown up? Where has it been heard in a way that can be received and applied? Uh, where have you contributed something that has made them better? That space, right? Because you always want to leave something better than what it was when you arrived at it. Not just from the presence of your child, but what you contributed through knowledge or through time. Um, do the teachers know you? Do they know your name? Do you go in the class? Are you allowed to go in the classroom and help? Do you support your teacher and affirm he or she in their time with your child? Mm-hmm. Um, so they can be their best version of themselves while they're with your child. Just things like that mm-hmm. I would look at. And just to see how you feel like the community, if you feel the community is inclusive of your presence in that. Uh, and if not, why would that be? Just to, to think all of that out. So that's what I would say. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you for coming on and speaking your knowledge, expertise. Privilege and an honor. Where can we find where can we find out more about you? Well, you know what? I am presently, you don't know this, I am presently in the midst of redefining a brand, my brand and doing that. And I am going to put legs on a series or kind of my thing, and it's going to be called the Porch Series. Uh, And the vision on that is just like a series of dialogues that take place on the porch. It's just a continuum of almost what you all do, just Mm -hmm. the different things that we talk about. And so that should be coming up pretty soon on the website. But until then, you can just do the, like Mel would say, the infamous Google, (laughs) and you will be able to find me um, because I don't think there is another Mia Embro. And Mm so you will easily be able to find me and contact me and sometimes even see what's in the queue, what's the next thing I'm going to do, but certainly be able to access me for any um, ongoing needs that anyone might have. Do you have an upcoming speaking engagement um, that that people publicly can try to attend? I don't have an upcoming one. This is the end of the school year, so I'm going into schools right now and doing some of their uh, end of the year training and okay. reflection and review with faculty and staff. So it's pretty private down right now. But in the fall, it will do an upsurge again, and I'll make sure that I make that known. Awesome. Okay. Awesome. awesome. Well, please check out additional resources and links to our show notes where you can find more information about our topics and bio, Mia's bio in that as well. We ask that you rate and review this and other episodes or send us an email, um, and you can do so if you would like to reach out to Mia. We can get... Um, her your information you can find us at mahogany mammology and that's m-a-h-o-g-a-n-y m-o-m-o-l-o-g-y at gmail.com then continue the conversation via our facebook instagram and twitter pages until next time this is mel and i'm tosh and we thank you for listening to mahogany mammology bye-bye